0: Ketha cut the power flow to his interceptor's engines, depending on instinct and manoeuvring thrusters as he cruised through the midst of the Chaos Fleet, making the small and nimble fighter craft an even more difficult target for the enemy weapon's targeters to lock onto. Something flickered on the edge of his vision and he hit his starboard thrusters, rolling the fighter to port and triggering his last cannons as he did so. The swift death that had passed momentarily across his cockpit's vision field, was instantly transfixed in a stream of azure energy lines. las bolts hammering into it, ripping through black glass armour plating. One wing-mounted engine thruster exploded, and Keitha saw fused melt holes punctured along the length of its fuselage. The swift death tumbled out of control, Seconds later, exploding apart as a second, deadly accurate stream of lasgun fire fanned and vaporized it. Keitha's port wingman, Altamir, finished the task begun by his squadron commander. Fine shooting, Stormfree! Keitha signaled over the squadron comnet. Well, dice for who claims the kill back aboard the Macarius. That's if we make it back aboard sounded the quiet voice of Vale flying on Keith's starboard wing. And that's if the Macarius itself is still there, even if we do make it out of here in one piece. It was only a few minutes since Kipula's fury had been destroyed, ripped apart by a flashet burst of millions of monofilament micro-shards by a random, unexpected strike from a nearby enemy vessel's anti ordnance defences but none of the other pilots would have considered Vale's joking words inappropriate. For the Fury pilots, death, shocking and violent, was a constant and ever-present possibility. My wingman on my port side, the Emperor on my starboard, and death on my tail, breathing in my engine wash. As the old Navy pilot phrase put it, death could come for them at any time in space combat, and always it would be sudden and instantaneous. They joked about it now, here in the heat of battle, even as friends and comrades died around them. But later, back aboard the safety of the Macarius, they would grieve together in their own solemn and private ways. Four craft left in his wing, nine more in the two other wings, which he had assigned to escorting the first bomber wave, following on close behind. Their firepower, combined with that of the Starhawk's own turret guns, proving more than enough to fight off any marauding enemy fighters. Kiefer's wing flew Pathfinder through the Chaos Fleet, dodging in and out amongst the strange, war-pultered shapes of the enemy vessels. Deadly to ever attack craft, the Fury's banks of LAS cannon and wing-mounted missiles would be less than pinpricks against the thick armoured hulls of the massive Chaos warships, but the Furies could still bring harm to them in other ways. From the cramped cockpit space behind him came a low-voiced litany of telemetry data and gunnery target coordinates, as Manetho, Keith's Adeptus Mechanicus navigator and rear gunner, relayed detailed and close-range observation intelligence on the enemy fleet back to his tech priest brethren aboard the Macarius. Much to Keith's satisfaction... Menatho had directed the Imperial Gunners in on the enemy ship that had destroyed the Kipula. Moments later, the gun sights of the mighty Drachenfels had zeroed in on the enemy destroyer, cutting it in half with one sweep of its portside lance batteries. Keitha's wing had swept a path through for the bomber wave, encountering and destroying six more swift deaths along the way. With the Lord Seth no longer a threat, Keitha had seen it take three more torpedo hits in the last few minutes. The only enemy carrier ship still in operation was the Pluton, and most of its attack craft's strength seemed to be bomber squadrons. What few enemy fighters they had encountered were lone stragglers recalled from the invasion beachhead, their power reserves depleted by extended operation in a planetary atmosphere, and the long, hard climb up from Hellier's gravity well to rejoin the new orbital battle. Those not returning to the Pluton for rearming and refuelling fell easy victim to the veteran pilots of Storm Squadron's elite command wing. Ahead, Keitha could see the squat "'Ugly shapes of the troop transports, "'their launch bay doors opened "'to reveal the cavernous interiors of their holds. "'Inside, row upon row of drop pods "'were stacked in tiered launch cradles, "'swarms of them, "'dropping in sequence from the underbellies of each transport. "'Keitha scanned his surveyor screen, "'satisfying himself one last time, that there were no enemy fighters protecting the transports. He keyed a series of rune signs into his COMnet panel, sending a pre-arranged code signal back to the Macarius and the bomber wave close behind his Pathfinder flight. Seconds later, the answering series of code marks appeared across his data screen. Storm leader to squadron? Bombers have their targets. Break off and stand by. Would know, Commander... Throne of Earth. I've known servitors that sounded more human than that, thought Keitha, recognizing the familiar blank toned voice that sounded over the Comnet. It was Zane, Zealot Zane, as the other members of the squadron called him, even though none of them would ever question the misfit pilot's reputation as the best fighter ace aboard the Macarius, with the highest kill tally to prove it. Commander? asked Zane again, his tone patient but expectant. Kiefer paused, considering. His orders were to circle in search of any remaining fighter targets, and then escort the Starhawk wave back to the Macarius after the completion of their bombing mission. On his long-range scope, he could see the Pluton launching bomber craft, and there were reports of more swift Depths on their way back up from the planet's surface to rejoin the fray. Kiefer glanced again at the spread formation of troop transports, Seeing the continuing rain of invasion force drop pods falling from their open underbellies. Fifty to a hundred enemy troops packed like so much cattle into each drop pod. Several hundred drop pods to each transport, dozens more of them being released from orbit with every passing minute. Even with several transports already destroyed, the Chaos Armada was still in the process of deploying a considerable invasion force on Helia. Keith knew that every drop pod destroyed increased the odds in favour of the Imperial forces now fighting on the planet's surface, and the point of the entire battle was to defy the enemy's attack on Helia, wasn't it? Swiftly he came to a decision, knowing he might have to answer for it later. That's if any of us survive that long, he reminded himself, thinking of Vale's traditional, pessimistic fighter-pilot riposte to any mention of the future. Storm Leader to Squadron? We'll leave the nursemaid duties to those greenhorns in Hornet Squadron. New target priority. Form up into wingman teams and target those drop pods. They won't add anything to your kill tallies, but you'll be giving those ground pounders on Helia a better fighting chance. And Emperor knows they need it, especially since they're unfortunate enough to not be a part of His Divine Majesty's Imperial Navy. A loyal chorus of laughs at the traditional and well-worn naval joke sounded over the comnet as, one by one, the pilots of Storm Squadron sent their fighters rolling off into deep attack dives, targeted at the lines of falling dropouts. The Starhawks launched their payload from near point-blank range, sending a wave of high-explosive warhead missiles streaming into the open, vulnerable underbelly bays of their troop transport targets. Fire from the transport's anti-ordnance defences was sporadic and desultory. The vessels were underarmed and their turret crews undertrained, damaging only one Starhawk and destroying virtually none of the incoming missile wave. Multiple explosions tore through the bellies of each of their three target transports destroying row upon row of drop pods as they sat stacked in their launch cradles. Others, ripped from their moorings by the force of the blasts, fell free, tumbling down towards the planet below, their crude flight systems unable to bring them under control and dooming those inside them to a terrible, fiery death as the pods burned up in the upper atmosphere of Helya. One of the transports blew up entirely, the explosions that had gutted its belly hold spreading into its reactor system, enveloping the vessel in a sudden and spectacular fireball, throwing out wreckage to smash into other surrounding transports and their closely packed launch lines of falling drop pods. Peeling away at the end of its attack run, one of the Stormhawks, a Gorshin's craft, Caparian saw, the same one that had been damaged by turret fire, "'was caught and consumed by the fringes of the blast. "'One bomber was a small price to pay "'for the destruction of free enemy transports "'and the thousands of troops and vehicles aboard them.' Caparian knew, but such cold strategic equations "'did not make the loss of any of those under his command "'any easier to beat. "'Nemesis to Macarius,' he signalled. "'Payload expended, targets well struck. "'Awaiting further orders.' Fine hunting, Mollus, came the reply, the familiar voice of Remus Nider crackling over the long range Comnet frequency. Rendezvous with fighter escorts and return home, Nemesis. Macarius looks forward to welcome you back aboard uh, once more. Emperor's oaf, Zane, pull up! Your outer hull is starting to burn! Ref, Zane, flicked a switch on his comnet panel, cutting off the warning voice of his wingman. Altamere was a good pilot, he knew, but his brother Fury Pilot had little in the way of faith. And faith, Zane knew, was the greatest weapon of all. Alarm chimes sounded from his instrumentation panel, warning him of the mounting temperature of his craft's outer skin. Zane ignored them reciting the words of the 58th incantation of inner peace to himself, looping his own voice through his helmet speakers, so that all he heard were the calming words of the holy text. The Emperor is my guardian, my shield and my protector. While he watches over me, I shall fear no enemy. The heretic, the demon, the abomination have no hold over me. He recited the words to himself as his fighter fell headlong down the gravity well, ghostly flames dancing around its winged tips as he cut a fiery trail through the upper strata of the planet's atmosphere. His fingers, connected with the control sticks, firing triggers, releasing short, stabbing bursts of LAS energy from his nose cannons. Once, twice, three times. His LAS Cannon power cells were almost depleted, but he had already realised just how vulnerable and poorly armoured the drop pod targets were. The first LAS Cannon volley caught the nearest drop pod on its underside, blowing off pieces of its glowing heat shield and destroying its retro thrusters. Even if the drop pod somehow survived the atmospheric entry with a damaged heat shield, it would still be unable to slow down its speed of descent and would plough into the ground of its intended landing site with meteoric force. Zane's next volley ripped away the side of the second drop pod, causing catastrophic decompression and sucking the pod's screaming occupants out into the void. His third burst missed the last pod in the chain. Zane paused and recited the lines of the incantation to himself again his face glowing in the reflected light from his instrumentation panel as series after series of crimson flashing runes lit up in urgent warning. The sound of alert chimes filled the cockpit, and from somewhere came the faint but distinct smell of burning wiring and plastics. Even the ever-silent servitor drone manning the fighter's cockpit rear turret gun seemed agitated. Zane opened his eyes, fixed on his target and fired. The last drop pod exploded apart as the line of las blasts tore through it. Zane took tight hold of the control stick, pulling back hard and feeding power through to the thrusters. The fury shook violently, its engines whining in protest as they struggled against the seemingly irresistible pull of Helia's gravity, And then the fury was rising again, pulling out of the high orbital dive, its scorched underbelly, riding a cushion of fire as it skimmed across the top of the upper atmospheric envelope. Most of the status runes on his instrumentation panel returned to a reassuring green, or at least a non-urgent amber again, but several remained crimson. Zane ignored them, already seeking out the next line of targets as he rose to rejoin his wingman. He and Altamir had followed that last line of drop pods down together, jointly destroying the first six of them before Altamir gave up the chase, turning back to avoid burning up in Helia's atmosphere. Zane had gone on to destroy the remaining five drop pods in the chain, pushing his Fury Interceptor to levels beyond its supposed tolerance limits, although Zane knew that he would come to no harm, not with the Emperor watching over him and guiding him in his holy work. I am his sword of retribution, I am his vessel of wrath. Though I am but weak and mortal flesh, the spirit of his divine will fills and strengthens me. Zane murmured to himself, reciting the thirteenth canticle of divine retribution, remembering the first time he had seen those words. Carved, along with thousands of other sacred texts, into the floor of the great ecclesiarchal cathedral and the shrine world of Sacra Evangelista, remembering kneeling as a young novice just recently taken holy orders and running his fingers in wonder over the ancient time-worn letters painstakingly etched into the stonework of the floor, remembering how That very night, the visions of the blessed Sororitas warrior-angel had come to him as he knelt praying in his cell, telling him that his destiny in the service of the Master of Mankind lay elsewhere, that he was to become an avenging fury, the scourge of the Emperor's enemies. Remembering how he had gone to the Father Confessor with the news of his visions, and remembering too the subsequent agonies and ordeals as the truth of his visions was examined by the Ecclesiarchy Court of Inquiry, and he himself was rigorously tested, physically and mentally, for evidence of heretical falsehood. His visions finally verified by the court, he was released from his vows as a ministorum adept and allowed to pursue his service to the Emperor elsewhere within the mighty Imperium of mankind. Zane levelled out of the power climb, searching for and finding the next string of falling drop pods and guiding his prophetically named Fury Interceptor towards them. More of the Emperor's enemies still lived, and his holy work was not yet done. Bullus Cyril watched as another of the troop transports exploded. Even with his cataphract clouded vision, he could see the firefly specks of enemy bombers dancing around the wreck of the burning ship. They were losing this battle, he realised, and losing it badly. The invasion of Helio was over. Forget the transports and the slave stock scum inside them, he told himself. All that matters was that warships such as the Virulent survived to fight another day. With warships, another world could be subjugated, another army of slave troops could be raised, another fleet of transports could be constructed. Yes, the invasion of Helia was over, he told himself, at least for the time being. ''Break off,'' he ordered. ''Bring us about and take us out of orbit.'' Our orders are to stand in orbit and offer close support to the drop-pod assault on the planetary surface, warned his second-in-command. A mere stripling with less than half a century's service to the pestilent glories of the creator of corruption. Cyril hissed. In irritation, the gill-like slits on the side of his neck opening in reaction and releasing a stinking spray of mist redolent with drifting viral spores. He lashed out with his tumour tentacles, picking up the upstart and smashing him against a nearby bulkhead wall. A swarm of chittering Nurgle spawn fell on the corpse, eagerly lapping up the mess leaking from its smashed skull. Cyril reached out again, Appointing another officer as his new second-in-command, and with one touch of his tentacles, he bestowed the blessings of the Plague Kiss upon the chosen recipient. Our first loyalty is to the Plague Lord. Our first duty is to avenge the death of his servant. Set a course and prepare for battle. Our target is the Macarius. The Macarius shuddered under the impact of another blast against its void shields. A dull boom reverberated through the command deck, indicating an internal explosion somewhere below decks. Semper cast an anxious glance at his vessel's technis majoris. Magus Castaboris, damage report! the gold-masked figure of the Macarius's most senior tech priest paused for several seconds, mind-impulse implants allowing him to commune with other Adeptus Mechanicus servants of the machine god aboard the ship, and with the arcane workings of the machine-spirit mind of the Macarius itself. In seconds, he was able to receive and interpret detailed information from all over the ship. There has been an explosive hull breach on the starboard underside. "'penetrating several Lower Decks. "'The affected sections have been sealed off "'and the oxygen fires in these sections allowed to burn themselves out. "'There has been some interruption to the atmosphere systems of Lower Decks 4 through 8.' "'Interruption?' thought Semper, "'knowing that conditions on the Lower Decks could uh, "'confidently be described as approaching hellish at the best of times.' "'an endless warren of cramped and ill-lit passageways and compartments, "'the air thick with toxic fumes and burning vapors "'spilling out from the ship's churning mechanical guts. "'What must it be like down there now?' he wondered, "'with whole sections in flames or exposed to the vacuum, "'and what little circulating air supply there was now cut off. "'How will this atmospheric interruption affect the crew on those levels?' "'The Magus hesitated.' Seemingly caught by surprise by his captain's question, Semper often had the impression that, to the haughty servants of the machine god, the presence of a human crew aboard the vessels under their charge was viewed as merely a necessary inconvenience. Casualties will be medium to heavy, captain, but almost all of them from amongst the lowest class of crew ratings, and hence easily replaced by non-skilled conscripts from other decks. Semper... Nodded in acknowledgement. Battle raged all around the Macarius, and his ship, together with the Drachenfels, had been first to feel the full fury of the enemy guns, and had now taken several damaging hits. Two of its portside launch bays and one on the starboard side were out of action. One of its forward portal gun decks had been gutted by a direct hit from a deadly vortex missile. Its long-range surveyors had been disrupted by a series of damaging radiation bursts against the void shields, and the Generarium tech priests were now reporting damage to the coolant systems of two of the ship's five massive plasma core reactors. None of this damage was critical yet, Semper knew, and every hit the Macarius took was instantly sent back to the enemy by the Imperial ship's own gun batteries. Surging forward into the midst of the disordered enemy fleet, surrounded by enemy targets, the Macarius's guns spoke without interruption. Carefully combining their fire patterns with those of the Drachenfels, the Macarius's massed salvos stripping bare an enemy vessel's void shields and leaving it vulnerable to follow-on blasts from the Gothic-class cruiser's fearsome battery of lance-turrets. Two enemy destroyers had been obliterated in this way and the infamous renegade vessel Heathen Promise had been driven off after a pounding from two Imperial cruisers, retiring from the battle with one entire flank of its hull laid open and trailing a cloud of debris and energy vapour. Elsewhere, the battle was slowly turning in the Imperial fleet's favour. The torrent was a burning wreck, but so too was the enemy flagship Lord Seth, succumbing at last after receiving a total of 11 torpedo hits. Bombers from the Pluton had mercilessly pounded upon Vanguard's squadron, but not before the Imperial Cobra destroyer ships had claimed two more troop transports with a close-range torpedo strike. The second wave of Macarius-launched Starhawks was even now attacking and destroying more of the transports, but reports were coming in. That the first attack wave of Starhawks en route back to the Macarius had run into trouble, coming under heavy attack from enemy fighters returning to orbit from the surface of Helia. The fighters were from the Lord Ceph, and with their home vessel destroyed and no space for them aboard the Pluton, they threw themselves at the Imperial bombers with suicidal frenzy, displaying an unmatched savagery, remarkable even for the insane followers of the malignant powers of the Warp. Still, the current tally stood at nine of the enemy troop transports crippled or destroyed, with the second Imperial bomber wave likely to further add to that score. Of the enemy warships, the cruisers Pagan Voyager and Heathen Promise had already withdrawn from battle, and there were signs that others, including, significantly, Pluton, were also preparing to withdraw Without their warship protectors, the remaining troop ships were doomed, and the invasion of Helia would be almost totally defeated. Suddenly, the command deck was rocked by a heavy blast, knocking Semper to the ground. Alarms sounded, and an object, the body of a servitor drone, fell from one of the bridge's high upper galleries, smashing into the main deck and lying on the ground, its broken mechanical limb attachment still twitching with mindless cybernetic life. "'Slaughter-class cruiser! It came in at us fast! Using those wrecks for cover!' said Alante, helping the captain to his feet and pointing in warning toward the main viewing bay port. The blast shutters were sliding down in automatic response to the surprise attack, but Semper could still clearly see the distinctive viper-head prow shape of a renegade cruiser bearing down hard on his ship. "'Brace for impact!' bellowed Alante. They're coming in close to give us a full broadside! Now, said Semper, countermanding his lieutenant's order. The enemy slaughter-class ships were notoriously fast for capital vessels, and at first Semper thought that the enemy cruiser meant to ram them. Then he saw it turn away a few degrees, rolling over to port to present its armoured underbelly to the Macarius. The surface of the warp-altered vessel's underside was sickeningly organic-looking and was pitted with blister-like pustules. Even as Semper watched, he saw these pustules swell and open, revealing the metal prows of the craft inside them. "'Boarding action! Asmen to their stations!' ordered Semper. "'Prepare to repel boarding assaults!' Spat out of the underbelly of the virulent, the wave of boarding craft, spanned the narrow distance between the two ships in less than a minute. Many were picked off by the Macarius's anti-ordnance defences before they could attach themselves to the Imperial ship's hull, exploding apart amongst the hail of LAS cannon bursts and shellfire. Others misjudged their course trajectory or failed to fire braking motors in time, dashing themselves against the metal cliffs of the cruiser's armoured flanks. Those that survived attached themselves, limpet-like, to the surface of the Macarius's hull, using melter charges to blow open airlock seals, powerful metal jaws to chew through thick armor plating, even ancient phase-field generators to open up entryways through otherwise impenetrable bulkheads. All over the starboard side of the Macarius, on deck after deck, strange, warp-altered figures emerged through raw-edged holes in bulkhead walls, howling in triumph at being here amongst their enemies, and instantly falling upon the first of the Imperial vessel's human defenders. Maxim Barossa cursed, swinging his chainsword and shearing away the face of the beast-headed warp spawn that blocked his way, another chaos thing charged towards him and trying to impale him on the point of its pike weapon. Maxim cut it off at the knees with his return swing, pressing the barrel of his shotgun into its neck and pulling the trigger as it fell squealing to the ground. He continued moving forward, cutting and blasting a path through the scrum of bodies, following in the wake of the figure in the navy blue uniform with the gold epaulets. Maxim enjoyed life on the command deck of the Macarius, away from the filth and squalor of the ship's lower decks, where he had begun his erstwhile career aboard the carrier ship, slaving away on a gunnery deck work crew as just another piece of convict conscript hive trash. He enjoyed the feel of his crisp, clean new uniform and his private berth in the petty officers' quarters and the many luxuries and indulgences that often came his way now. He enjoyed all this and he realised that his continued enjoyment of all these pleasures... "'depended totally on the continued well-being "'of Flag Lieutenant Hito Alante. "'Something that smelled of open charnel pits "'and spat out a stream of acidic bile rose up in front of him, "'barking incoherently. "'Maxim fed it the pummel of his chainsword, "'feeling the studded ridges of the handguard "'smash through gangrenous flesh, rotted teeth and bone. "'The thing staggered back, mewling loudly and Maxim shot it three times in the face and throat with an auto pistol that he did not remember picking up from one of the many corpses lying at his feet on the floor of the passageway. He pushed on, stomping his heavy boots down on the face of something on the ground that tried to stab up at him with the bone skewers that grew out of its hands. Disembowelling a renegade who still wore the remnants of the uniform of the Imperial Guard Regiment he had deserted from to join the cause of chaos. Tearing the rebreather mask from the face of a carapace-armoured warrior, and watching the disease-bloated features of the once-human thing underneath as it asphyxiated on the relatively clean and unpolluted air of the Macarius. This was the third such battle that he had followed his patron officer into since Alante had volunteered to personally lead the defence against the enemy boarding assault and Maxim soundly cursed all ambitious and over-keen young flag officers. Alante would go far, Maxim suspected, and hopefully his faithful petty officer, companion and protector, Maxim Barrosa, would go far along with him, but only if he managed to keep his meal ticket alive in the meantime. Maxim saw the aristocratic officer artfully gut an enemy border with his sabre, but another renegade crewman nearby raised his bolt gun towards Olante. The big hive world ganger lunged ahead, savagely kicking an imperial armsman forward into the renegade's line of fire. The armsman was torn apart in the burst of bolt shells intended for Olante, and Maxim emptied the rest of the auto pistol clip. "'into the renegade before he could fire again. "'Ulante turned, nodding in silent thanks to his bodyguard protector. "'Gunshots rang out along the passageway "'as a second wave of enemy boarders advanced towards them. "'Maxim pulled Ulante back into the cover of a recessed maintenance conduit, "'snatching up the dead renegade's bolter as he did so. Elante drew a master-crafted LAS pistol from his side holster and began firing off a series of carefully aimed LAS shots. Maxim, born and raised in the tunnels of the Stranovar Underhive, knew that what counted in situations like this was heavy firepower, and plenty of it. He hefted the bolter, its feel and weight familiar to him. From a thousand bloody gang of battles in those same tunnels, and checked its ammo load, pleased to see that he still had almost a full clip of shells. He raised the weapon and began firing, methodically panning it back and forth and pumping shell after shell across the full width of the passageway, whining ricochets, zigzagging off metal bulkhead walls and further increasing the chances of any one shot finding a target. The bolt gun's heavy chatter was soon joined by the dull roar of shotguns a squad of naval armsmen advancing down the passageway to support Maxim and Alante. The bodies of enemy boarders began to pile up on the decking, but any possibility of retreat was cut off by a second group of Macarius defenders seizing and holding the passageway junction to the enemy's rear. The renegade troops were quickly cut down in a withering crossfire. Their dying screams of devotion to their Plague Lord, Master, "'lost in the roaring chorus of shotgun blasts. "'The midshipman commander of the armsmen squad "'stood to attention before Alante, "'saluting smartly at the sight of his flag officer rank insignia. "'More of them, sir. "'Perhaps another three dozen or so. "'Down on the next level. "'Commissar kyogen got them pretty well boxed in, "'but there's a chance they could try and storm through "'towards the central magazine. "'Show me,' said Alante drawing his sabre again and moving off at the head of the squad. Behind him, Maxim spat in disgust, scrabbling about in search of fresh bolter clips amongst the already putrefying bodies of the enemy dead before hurrying off in pursuit of his patron. The master of the virulent turned away from the all screen, pleased to see the distant shapes of the Imperial fleet falling away to the rear of his vessel. Accompanying the virulent were the Pluton, the pagan voyager, and a handful of surviving escort vessels. The heathen promise limped off in a different course heading, offering itself, as Cyril was delighted to see, as an obvious alternative target for the wrath of any pursuing enemy ships. Ahead of the fleeing Chaos ships was open space, and the promise of escape into the warp. It had been Cyril's intention to launch a second wave of boarding craft at the Macarius, but before he could do so, he was beaten off by the marauding beams of the Drakenfell's deadly accurate lance turrets. Cyril was a loyal servant of the true powers of the warp, but he was no rage-possessed, cornate madman. He had served Grandfather Nurgle for centuries, and fully intended to serve him for centuries more yet. The ways of the Grandfather were slow and methodical differing from those of the other Chaos powers, but in the end, all things fell to decay and corruption. The macarious and the Virulent would cross paths again, he knew, and when they did so, he would have his revenge. After all, he mused to himself, had he not already taken steps to ensure that it would be so? The Chaos thing shuffled through the darkness, leaving the lights and shouts of the enemy search parties behind it. There had been others like it amongst the boarding assault it knew, others bearing the Captain Champion's plague gifts, but somehow it sensed that it was the only one to survive this far. The cold metal vaults and passageways of the enemy ship were unfamiliar to it, not at all like those of its own vessel, where the rich, humid atmosphere was thick with the stench of rot and decay, and the decks and walls marked with bright patterns of rust corrosion and weirdly beautiful sprays of poisonous algae and fungi. Still, it knew enough to head downwards into the bowels of the enemy vessel in search of what it needed, or rather, in search of what the thing stirring to life inside it needed. "'heat and darkness, solitude and security, "'to grow, to thrive, to fester.'" Chapter 7 Tiredness and exhaustion filled every particle of Liaton Semper's being. He had been on his feet for over thirty hours now, the last ten of those overseeing the aftermath of victory. The Battle of Helia Free was won, The boarding assaults on his own vessel had been repulsed, and the honour of the final shots to be fired in anger had gone to Scipion, as it put four torpedoes into the engine reactors of the retreating Violator, bringing the Chaos ship's run of luck throughout the battle to a sudden and spectacularly explosive end. Yes, the battle was over, but there was still much to be done, Without their warship protectors, the Chaos Troop transports fell easy prey to the Imperial gun batteries and torpedoes, but there was a considerable enemy invasion force already on the planet's surface and digging in hard. The ground war would continue for months yet, and Imperial Guard reinforcements would have to be brought in from elsewhere within the Gothic sector to finally dislodge the enemy presence on Helia III. Amongst the surviving Imperial ships, both the Macarius and the Drakenfels had taken damaging but not debilitating hits, while Scipion had taken a crippling hit to its warp drive and would remain in orbit above Helia for weeks to come while it underwent vital repairs, in the meantime putting its firepower to use against the Chaos positions on the planet's surface. Of all the Imperial capital ships, only von Blotcher's Graf Orlick had survived, more or less, undamaged, and Semper would well imagine what Erwin Rammus' scathing opinion on that particular subject would be. Rescue shuttles were still bringing in life-pod survivors from the Tonnant and the other destroyed Imperium ships, although the diligent search for these survivors was less a mission of mercy and more an act of necessity. Macarius and its sister ships all needed fresh blood to replace their own crew casualties suffered during the battle. Meanwhile, repairs to all vessels were already underway. While the Firestorm-class frigate Vengeful had been dispatched in high-speed pursuit of the retreating Chaos Fleet, tracking them to the edge of the Helia system, where well, it was hoped that its on-board Psyca navigators and astropaths would be able to pick up prophetic hints of the Chaos Fleet's eventual destination as it made the jump into warp space. We've won a fine victory today, Captain, but it's plain to see that you're almost dead on your feet. You should retire to your quarters. Emperor knows you have earned your rest. Semper turned, unaware until now that Cobra Kyogen was even present on the bridge. He had thought that the ship's commissar was still touring the ship, checking that crew morale was at sufficiently high levels after the recent victory gathering information and making notes for the inevitable commissar's report that he would later secretly transmit via Astropath to Battlefleet Command. Along with Alante, Kaiajin had led the battle against the enemy boarding assault, and Semper was fairly sure that the stern-faced giant had been on duty for even longer than he had. Sometimes Semper wondered if his vessel's enigmatic chief commissar "'wasn't some kind of ingeniously crafted automaton creation of the servants of the machine god, "'rather than an ordinary flesh-and-blood human.' "'You are, of course, right, comrade, commissar,' said Semper, agreeably. "'Only too aware that Kyogen's carefully expressed words were probably less of a suggestion "'and more of a direct command. "'In all matters relating to security and order aboard an Imperial Navy vessel,' including even the well-being of its captain, it seemed. The word of a ship's commissar was law. Semper looked around the bridge, searching for and finding the next most senior present officer in the chain of command. Mr. Meller, the bridge is yours, gentlemen. Senior Gunnery Officer Werner Miller uh, clicked his heels together in understanding in the approved Battlefleet Gothic manner. The other command deck officers saluting in response to their captain's farewell Semper walked towards the bridge elevator the waiting trio of veteran armsmen bodyguards falling into step beside him the elevator doors opened ahead of them and Semper saw the familiar dark grey robes of the group of figures who stepped out onto the command deck they were the acolyte servants of the members of the adeptus astratelepathica And amongst them was the tall and hooded figure of their master. His sightless gaze swept the command deck, settling on Semper. "'Adeptus Repavna,' murmured Semper, nodding his head in deference to the adept. "'What brings my exalted senior astropath here to the command deck?' If Repavna detected any hint of disapproving censure in his captain's words, he gave no indication." Amongst the notoriously superstitious crews of the Imperial Navy, it was often considered bad luck to allow psychers onto a vessel's command deck. "'An urgent communication from Battlefleet Command,' came the reply, intoned in an astropath's customary, eerie, empty-toned whisper. "'We have new orders, Captain.' The Mercarius is to make haste at once to Bellatis, where we are ordered to safeguard the evacuation of the Divine Emperor's most loyal and valued servants from that world before the moment of its appointed destruction at the hand of the enemy. Interlude The planet-killer moved through the warp with Ponderous majesty, like a triumphant imperial potentate marching at the head of his all-conquering army, escort vessels swept ahead of it like heralds bearing the news of their master's approach. A phalanx of cruisers and battle cruisers traveled alongside it, flanking it in protective formation. Two battleships and an awesomely ancient and venerable adeptus Astartes battle barge followed in its wake. Once known as the Magna Tyrannus, the battle barge was older than the Imperium of Mankind and had served throughout the Horus Heresy as the flagship of the Despoiler. Fully five companies of Black Legion Chaos Marines were carried within it, serving as Abaddon's personal Praetorian guard, now rechristened the Harbinger of Doom by Imperial historians since its fall to Chaos The battle barge, twin to the one aboard which the final confrontation between the Emperor and Horus had taken place as Abaddon and the Chaos Warmaster's other lieutenants led the assault on the Imperial Palace, was a symbol of the Despoiler's personal power and continuation of the dread legacy of the Warmaster and the mercifully rare sightings of it beyond the boundaries of the Eye of Terror, Almost without fail, heralded the advent of another major chaos incursion into Imperium space. Larger than any vessel ever constructed by human hands, the planet killer moved implacably forward, towards its still distant target. Its crew went about their duties, ever aware that the eye of the despoiler was upon them, even though it was by no means certain if he was aboard the vessel. Ever cunning and mindful of the danger of a surprise enemy attack, or even the possibility of an assassination plot, amongst his many ambitious and ruthless underlings, the heir of Horus randomly transferred his command flag between vessels, Men at one time could be aboard the Planet Killer, the Harbinger of Doom, or either of the two formidably armed battleships. Only his most trusted inner cadre of servants and acolytes, knew his exact location, and there were whispered rumours amongst his fleet admirals and legion commanders that the despoiler had secretly created a series of homunculus duplicates of himself to further confuse his enemies. The truth of this last legend was so far unknown, but Imperium and Chaos forces alike had been confused on more than one occasion by apparently confirmed reports on the Warmasters' whereabouts only to then receive conflicting reports of simultaneous sightings of him aboard a different flagship vessel in other war zones many days' walk travel from his previous reported position. Cunning and resourceful, it was not for nothing that Abaddon the Despoiler had endured for these last ten millennia within the eye of terror as the commander of the traitor legions and the chosen champion supreme of chaos undivided. Inside the observation blister, atop the spike-crowned spire of the planet-killer's central command tower, its triumvirate of chaos sorcerer-navigators cast their otherworldly gaze out into the warp, mystically divining a path through the shifting currents of the immaterium. The mysteries of the warp held no terror for them, as they did for the human navigators guiding the vessels of the Imperium. They could sense other presences out there in the warp, other navigator minds belonging to other vessels, and, moving unseen and predatory amongst them, the disembodied demon things of the warp. The mindless, bloody thoughts of these entities burned bright in the Empyrean as they hungrily and impatiently scratched at the protective warp shields that separated them from the frail and mortal creatures that dared trespass within their realm. Nearby, the Sorcerer Navigators detected the lurking presence of an enemy scout vessel shadowing the Planet Killer fleets on its journey through the warp. It would be a simple thing to issue orders and dispatch escort vessels to hunt down and destroy the enemy spy, but the despoiler had already forbidden such action. It suited him, at present, to allow the enemy to be aware of the Planet Killer's position. He knew that, hard-pressed on so many different fronts, They could not currently hope to rally a sufficiently large force to try and attack it, and so the knowledge of their own powerlessness must seem all the more terrible to them as they watched the awesomely destructive power of the massive weapon device moving slowly, implacably, towards its target. Men from somewhere out there, in the distant reaches of the Immaterium, the planet-killer's sorcerer navigators could dimly sense that target. It flickered there on the edges of their mystic warp site perception, but growing brighter and more distinct as they close towards it. The navigators of the Imperium used the guiding call of their weakling emperors astronomicon to find their way within the warp. But the pilots of the despoiler's planet killer vessel used a different kind of beacon to guide them to their destination. Fear. The terror of billions of human minds the blind panic of an entire world's population, imprinting itself on the psychically sensitive stuff of the Immaterium and manifesting itself as a bright, dense dwarf star of bitter fear shining in the void. The minds of the people of Bellatus called out into the warp in uncomprehending fear against the injustice of their imminent destruction. It was that same fear which guided the instrument of their destruction to them. And soon they will all die. <laughs> no, I don't know, I can't remember. I haven't read that far ahead. <laughs> I forgot, I forgot what happens in this story. I vaguely remember some stuff. I haven't read that far ahead with it. I should have really re- reread the whole book, but I never got around to it. I read the first like chapter or so and I was like, yeah, this is cool. Um. Anyway, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for uh, subscribing. I really appreciate that. And subscribe if you haven't already. Please do give the video a like. Let me know in the comments what you think. This all really helps with the channel. you know. Um, and really, it's the least you can do. Come on. <laughs> um, if you'd like to support the channel, though, uh, and you're in a, in a position to do that, I'd really appreciate that. And to everybody who does, thank you ever so much. You can see your name scrolling by here. Really, really appreciate it. Really, really helps. And if you'd like to uh, help me out as well, I'd appreciate that. Uh, either as a YouTube member or on Patreon, if you follow the links below in the description. There's various different ways you can do stuff, uh, but YouTube's probably the easiest. Anyway, it doesn't matter. If you can't, please do give the video a like and let me know in the comments what you think. Really appreciate it. Uh, next part will be coming soon. I'm not too sure I'll to do it. You'll see anyway. If you just watch these in sequence, it'll all make sense. I've just got to do a little bit of editing in my mind. Uh, all right, I'll see you later. Thanks very much for watching. Back again with more soon. See ya! Tura! Bye bye!